This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Amanda Delheimer. There's a lot of buzz around community building these days, and for good reason. The harder things get in our political climate, the more we need spaces for empathy, of understanding, and of common ground. In this week's episode, as a new father and with the weight of a recent job loss weighing down his spirits, this teller knew he needed his community. Little did this son of Ghana know that he would find his own little slice of home on the south side of Chicago. In a story about what it takes to find a home away from home, Second Story is proud to present Senyo Ador. It was eerily quiet on the phone for 20 seconds. I swallowed hard and tried to form a sentence. Nothing. Senyo, you there? Sorry it had to end up like this, son. Good luck to you. I still remember the knot of anxiety growing in my gut when my manager called to tell me that I was fired. As a field services engineer, I moved from site to site. And when there was no work, I was able to come home to rest. That's when I got the call. I got fired on my day off. I was great technically, but a poor communicator and positive customer feedback was a significant part of our deliverables. And without much improvement in this area, management didn't feel like I was a good fit. It felt like the floor gave out from under me. I was going from Senyo, the engineer, to who knows what. How long would it take for me to find another gig? I mean, the economy was hurting. It wouldn't be easy to bounce back from this. I let my family in on the bad news, and you would have thought that I was the first African to lose a job here in America. (laughs) My uncle was the most vocal. It's not possible. How can you lose a job in America here? Hey, do you know the hell we went through to get to this country? You are not taking life serious. This is a disgrace. Surviving unemployment in Chicago was no picnic. But not having a soft landing with your family made life no easier. I had been the pillar of reliability in my generation of the family. But in this time, I felt terribly mortal. And to compound issues, I just welcomed a baby boy into the world with a woman that I wasn't ready to spend another week with, much less the rest of my life. I was hurling headfirst into my worst nightmare, becoming a broke-ass baby daddy. In mere months of being fired, my savings were reduced to the change clumped in with the pocket lint in my jeans. I still remained steadfast on the road to gainful employment, reworking my resume and sending out applications like a machine. But the love, the love was gone. I never fully lost the belief that I would land something else, but being broke had a way of putting my faith to the test. The few callbacks I would get picked my hopes up, only to make it to the final interview of three to be told by the interviewer that I didn't fit into the workplace culture. It was like they called my manager and regurgitated his script in firing me verbatim. 
what the hell did that mean anyway? I decided you don't fit in was white people lingo for thanks for your interest, but we're not hiring your black ass. <laughs> and I wondered why it took three interviews to arrive at that conclusion. <laughs> my uncle, still unimpressed with my circumstances, continued to stir the pot. My father and uncle came from a humble village in Ghana. They convinced the University of Illinois to give them music scholarships. Mind you, I'd never seen either one of them play a musical instrument in my life. <laughs> Have you seen me or your father play music before? Uh -huh. We used the magic to get to this country. And once we were here, we worked hard to stay. That's all. This is your generation's problem. Too much thinking. Just shut up and do the work. <laughs> the world was just that binary to him. Who had time for brooding when survival was at stake? He really just wanted the best for me, but he was also frightened for me. I believed in everything my uncle said. I just came from a different world view. Yet another world I didn't fit into. I decided to meander and clear my head. You always hear the train before you see it. Doors fly open and I take my seat quickly, pressing my head against the window. And as I settle in, watching the scenery pass by, I couldn't help but think that if I didn't have an intervention soon, life would be passing me by too. I could hear the train announcer's voice through my daydream. We had reached the Chicago Avenue stop when I felt a hand on my shoulder. It snapped me up violently. I breathed a sigh of relief when I saw her face. Leah! from Southern Illinois, right? Yeah, I remembered her. Leah was mad cool, like a long lost cousin you couldn't wait to talk about everything and anything with. It took us no time to catch up. I must have been wearing the look of defeat on my spirit, because I could see her sizing me up a little. Look, I'm on my way to the gig. I'm a counselor for a charter school on the South Side, and we really need help in science and technology. You graduated in engineering, right? Damn, you still remember that? Yeah, I did. I also remember your ass doing homework when you were supposed to be checking in guests at the front desk, but that's neither here nor there. Getting work done wherever we could was a huge part of our college experience. The nostalgia was disarming. Look, there's barely any dudes working there, man, and the curriculum is African-based. It's automatic for you. I can put a word in. You were always a good dude. So I was the guy giving people with no gas money rides from Carbondale to, to Chicago on Thanksgiving break, or helping vomiting freshmen get back to their dorm room safely after a wild night out. I never thought anything of it. It was just the way I was wired. But you were always a good dude, just played in a loop on my eardrums and I held on to that compliment for dear life. I was also shocked into a realization that though I could be fired as an engineer, I'd never be fired from being myself, a good dude. I approached Betty Shabazz International Charter School a bit nervous. I had taken the red line all the way to 79th and rode the bus east to Ellis, a little over an hour in total travel. 
I didn't know exactly what to expect, so I entered through the door marked visitors and was greeted by the sound of busy feet and the high-pitched voices of students. Excuse me, young lady, can you point me toward the main office? Well, this is the basement. The office is on the second floor, Baba. I came to understand that in their roles as staff, adults are seen as extensions of the children's mothers and fathers in the village, hence Baba for male staff and Mama for female staff. Betty Shabazz was not just an institution for learning, it was a safe space for all things relative to the African diaspora, aptly nicknamed the village. African ideals and perspectives were celebrated due to their relevancy to the staff and students. And coming from a Ghanaian home myself, I was impressed to see the protocols that could be found in my own household at work on 79th and Ellis on the south side of Chicago. After checking in, I was shown to the program director's office. Mama Roberta. She wore long, flowing dreadlocks and was clad from head to toe in a very loose-fitting tie-dye ensemble. She evoked the spirit of the 70s. She had a firmness in her eyes and a voice that was textured with experience. You could tell she was tough as elephant skin. Having once worked as a product developer for Motorola, when she learned I was an engineer, she was in love. She finally had someone to talk shop with. The village was an oasis of personal affirmation and African pride that I struggled to find anywhere else outside of my own home. The murals of African presidents and inventors plastered all over. And school started off every day with a drum circle. I was finally home. <laughs> After 20 minutes of introduction and shop talk, the honeymoon was over. Mama Roberta had me moving boxes of classroom materials from the first floor to her office on the fourth floor, using only the stairs. <laughs> I guess I was hired. <laughs> She quickly took me under her wing and became like a mother to me in the village, running me through a list of errands like only a mama could. Baba Senyo, can you clean out the turtle tank? We can barely see through the water. Baba Senyo, the aquaponics lab is officially your baby. Baba Senyo, we are starting an after-school poetry club, and I took the liberty of offering your name up as chief literary advisor. <laughs> I ran into Leah again on my lunch break. She looked me over the way she always did and smiled. Now, didn't I tell you the village was the shit? <laughs> I felt indebted to her for urging me to become a part of the village. I certainly wasn't making engineering money, but I was regaining self-worth. It's impossible to put a price on that. It's cool, Baba, just make sure you pay it for through the babies. They need us. I teased her about selling the job to me as a technology advisor, when in actuality, the job was a mix between janitor, lunch narc, and glorified babysitter. <laughs> I saw you over there with Mama Roberta. You're loving every minute of this. Yeah, who knew I'd find my own little slice of Africa right here on the south side of Chicago? Lunch break was over, and I rushed down to the cafeteria to fold up tables and put them away. And as I worked, I started to daydream about my journey, from being fired to becoming a part of the village. I had come a long way. 
There was a class of students in single file lines standing next to me, waiting to be escorted to their next class. Hey, Baba Senyo. How are you, Fatima? Good, Baba Senyo. Baba, can I ask you a question? <laughs> of course, Fatima. What is it? So you like doing this job, huh? Cleaning up after kids and sending them to the stage when they're acting up? I love the village, Fatima, and any way I can be a part of it, I will. But how you talk, it's like you're supposed to be doing something else, not this. Like, I don't know, you're not supposed to be here. I don't know how to say it, Baba. I forced a smile and explained to her that we were always exactly where we were supposed to be. And when you try to reverse the order or move forward too fast, the universe has a way of resetting you like a laptop or Xbox. Starting you again from the beginning to help you realize what's most important. So it's like the universe held you back at Grand Baba Senyo? <laughs> That's so funny. Something like that, Fatima. Baba Senyo had a lot to learn, and I'm okay with that. Well, I trust you, Baba Senyo. I like that you're part of the village, but I do hope you get to graduate one day. Me too, Fatima. Me too. This story was curated by Margaret Marion and Paula Carter, directed by Tyler Green, with music and sound design by Mike Prisgoda and his one-man band. The Second Story podcast is produced by Liv Oath. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Amanda Delheimer, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.